Blog Talk Radio. Rebecca Maida here, Zelina, the Wicked Witch of the West, and you are listening to Once Upon a Fan Podcast. Enjoy, because it's wicked! Hello, everybody. I am the Crimson Heart. And I am the Black Fairy's dirty little secret. <laughs> and this is the Once Upon a Fan podcast. Welcome to tonight's show. Thank you very much for joining us. If you are new to the show or if you are one of our regular listeners and you want to get into the chat room, then you already know that you need to refresh the page a couple of times. But for all of you new people, you need to refresh the page a couple of times before it will let you get in there. It's a... Uh, Something with Blog Talk Radio beyond our control, so I do apologize for that because that's not normally how I would like to conduct business. So we're going to go ahead and get into some news bulletins that we've got, um, including a couple of newly released articles from um, the other day as well as just today within the last 30 minutes or so. And we've also got some news on a rather eventful Q&A session at a con over the weekend that we are definitely going to be discussing so let's get on into this. Mm-hmm. First of all, kind of a momentous thing here because today is our 100th podcast. Um, so kind of crazy that we've got 100 of these episodes in. We actually have more than 100, but um, I think, like, we've done, like, specials, like, as Comic-Con or whatever, so they're not, like, perfectly numbered, but it's basically our 100th podcast. So, um, yeah, really happy to be here. I am sad to say that my original co-host and our former co-host, Amy Hood, was not able to join us this evening. Um, However, we are here, and we are ready to move on. So, anyways, I just wanted to say thank you very much to everybody who's been listening to the show. um, Also, a thank you to Lee Ehrenberg, Michael Coleman, and Richard Awesome for appearing on this podcast, um, doing interviews with us. I have greatly appreciated your time. Thank you as well to Rebecca Bex-Mater for doing our intro voice. Amy, I know you're not listening probably right now because you've got stuff going on, but thank you very much for joining me on this journey and starting it with me and keeping up with it as long as you did and being so amazing with the social media accounts and so forth. And also thank you to you, Ash, for coming on as well and remaining my co-host and joining me on this crazy idea ride that I had. So, yeah, just thanks to you. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all. I mean, I definitely think you put you said it the best. It's kind of wild that, yeah, there's a hundred of these. And, you know, you and I, we haven't always seen eye to eye, but we've always been able to, like, have a good discussion and crazy accents and bad puns and laughing and, and grundles and things like that. So <laughs> it's been a real pleasure to talk to you every Tuesday about uh, fairy tales. Same thing here. Fairy tales, fairy tale lesbians, grundles, the whole nine years. Um, all right. So 
now that we have discussed that bit of business, um, Ash, do you want to give us maybe a little recap of your con experience over the weekend and give us our con update before we launch into the juicy bit? Oh, sure thing. Well, I mean, this con wasn't strictly once upon a time uh, related, but C2E2 was this past weekend, and um, I was very excited to go. I, I like it because it has such a very good local vibe. I actually got a chance to talk to Will Wheaton while I was there. Um, we had just a very brief little chat, but um, he had written something, oh, I'd say maybe a year ago, two years ago, about um, another large, very large con and his displeasure with his experience there. So I, I, I made it a point to go up to him and be like, you know, I hope, you know, my hometown is treating you okay. And he's like, you know, everyone's been really great and this con is definitely how it should be things should be run things should be experienced and uh, it, he was very you know grateful that everybody from the fans to the staff and everything just helped facilitate the con so well so it was just really nice to hear you know oh yay chicago did good um, and it, it's, this con has grown so much. It's only seven years old. And it, this was a very busy year. And it was great to see so many local, like, Midwestern artists. Um, I got a chance to talk to Michael Duran, a loco duck. You guys may know him from, uh, a lot of you may know him from Spooky. And it's funny because he mentioned to me, I was talking, you know, I always ask, oh, how's your weekend going? You doing good and everything. And, you know, they had a great weekend. But he was saying he was, like, the best weekend we've ever done at spooky empire was that weekend the very first time they had once upon a time guests and we had uh they had once upon a time art like he was like the oncers really showed up and really kind of helped us like have a have a boom and get out there and he was he was like that was that was awesome like he I think he, he was talking about he there was a bunch there was a group of fans and they were like we want 15 prints and we need to get selfies with you and this that and the other and so you know it's just it's kind of nice when you know the fandom does good and things like that I didn't get a chance to go see Millie Bobby Brown she had a really busy schedule and a really long line but um I I don't know it was it was a fun time so if you're in the Chicagoland area the next con is going to be next year um April. 6th through the 8th, 2018. They've already announced the dates. I believe that's the first weekend in April. Um, it is the same weekend as Heroes and Villains slash Walker Stalker at Rosemont. And local Chicago nerds are, are kind of like, you know, in a, in a Sophie's Choice situation with that. Um, you know, okay, which con do we go to? Um, but I honestly, I love what, I love Heroes and Villains. I really do. But I highly recommend checking out C2E2. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm throwing my hat in that ring. Um, oh, and and this is completely unrelated as well. I got to see my buddies at Cork Books. Um, some of you may know some of the things they've published. Uh, Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar uh, Children and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies are some of the things that they're most well known for. Um, one of my favorite authors there is Grady Hendrix, and I got an advanced reader of his new book. And I don't want to say too much about it other than it, it, it's kind of horror-related, all his books are. His other two books are Horror Store, which is basically what if Ikea was House on Haunted Hill, kind of. It's, it's actually quite scary. And his other one is My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is um, – uh, 
oh god, I'm blanking on what is that movie with Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler? I'm blanking on Beaches. It's like Beaches meets The Exorcist. So I'm glad check out his. Nothing. Sorry. All right, amongst I my friends, I always. No, amongst my friends, I always refer to that movie as bitches. Go on. Well, but I. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to give him a little plug because I got uh, an advanced reader of his newest book, and it looks like it's just going to be just awesome. It's so great when you know an author is able to diversify his writing, but also like churning out hits, and they're all so different, and they're all so fun. Um, so yeah, so that was the con that I went to this past weekend. Um, but coming up for us oncers, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, this weekend is the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and we actually Millie Bobby Brown had to cancel that one. Um, you guys may know her as Young Alice in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, so she won't be able to attend. I think it has to probably do with filming because the they had to cancel a few appearances at C2E2 this weekend past, and I'm okay with that because if that means more Stranger Things, then A-plus in my book. But Raphael Sabarge, our very own Dr. Archie Hopper, will still be attending. So if you're in the area, go check it out. Also coming up is Storybrooke UK3 in Blackpool, uh, Faustino Debata and Gabe Kuth. Uh, who are sleepy and sneezy, respectfully, will be the special guest co-host for this event, also attending are Emily Duravin, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mader, Jared Gilmore, Robert Carlyle in an extremely rare convention appearance, Sean McGuire, Karen David, and Odette Fair, who played Jafar this past season. Now, here's a new event, and a lot of you Eagle Regals will be very interested in this because the tickets are free. Um, it's the Build Series in New York City. On May 5th, well, first up, the Bill Series is a live interview series that allows fans to get up-close and personal insight to some of the biggest names in entertainment uh, as they share stories about their passions and projects. And on May 5th at 2 p.m., uh, was it EDT? Is that Eastern? Yeah, Eastern Standard Time. Wow, Ashley, is that Eastern? It's in New York. I've been up since 4.30 at work, so forgive me, dear listeners. Anyway, at that time... Lana Perea will be joining the Build series uh, to talk about Once Upon a Time. We have a link on our con page uh, to get tickets, and the tickets are free. I believe it's just a reservation type of thing. Um, There are some rules about when doors open and close, and they made it a point, and I want to mention this, they made it a point to say on the ticket page that autographs are not allowed on site. So I feel like this is just going to be an opportunity to hear Lana talk a bit and not more of a I, – I, Lana's always very generous with her time with fans, but I feel like the restrictions of the event may not allow her to be um, to able to have as much interaction as she might want. But, yeah, so the uh, link is up on our con page. Uh, coming up in May, also May 5th, um, in Toronto is the next edition of the Creation Entertainment Presents Once Upon a Time. Lee Ehrenberg will be the MC once again, and attending will be Lana Priya, Rebecca Mater, Emily Duravin, Beverly Elliott, Gil McKinney, who plays Prince Eric, Keegan Connor Tracy, Michael Coleman, Raphael Sabarge, Chris Gauthier, Sean McGuire, uh, Robin Hood, who has just been added to this event, and De- Karen David, who plays Jasmine, who also ha- has been added. Again, Jennifer Morrison and Colin O'Donoghue had to cancel. 
Um, and I think that it will be it for right now. There are some more cons coming up later in May, but we can talk about those as the as we get into May and the dates get closer. So, yeah, that's it for our con update for this week. Again, you can catch all this information at our uh, con page, which is once upon a fans with an S dot com slash conventions. And again, this list is not definitive. So if you know of a convention or an event like the Build Series that a Once Upon a Time actor, cast member, or writer is attending and want us to share it with the rest of the Oneser community, please drop us a line, shoot us a tweet, and we'll be sure to get it up on the page. All right. Thank you very much for that update and recap of C2E2. It was quite sad not to join you, but I was heartened by the fact that we'll be seeing each other in about three months. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. I sorted out my SDC, SDCC ticket, so I will be seeing Zach. Woo. Thank God. Um, okay, so since we're still on the subject of cons, I feel like now is a good time to – a little bit of tea, and um, I'm I'm kind of a little bit happy about this because um, I think it's been a long time coming, and I think, anyways, I'm a little bit happy about what happened. I'm not gonna lie; it's probably a little bit petty and way beneath me, but and I know that um, everyone's on a journey, so am I, and I'm just at that point in my life where if it's petty, and I mean, yeah, what else is there to say? So um, over the weekend, I guess, uh, from what I heard on the internet, because I definitely wasn't there, um, Lana Perea was at the Barcelona Con, right, over the weekend. Yes. And storytelling con. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently, now, if I have any of this wrong, somebody let me know on Twitter. My handle is at the Zach Van. So the T-H-E, Zach, Z-A-C-H is in Henry, and then V is in Victor, A-N. Um, please let me know if I'm wrong or in the chat room. But apparently she was there, and there was a Q&A, and somebody asked her about Captain Swan. And she said that Hook has come a long way since he first got on the show. And apparently her answer, that answer, led to people starting to, like, yell out the word no and, you know, boo her or at least boo the answer and things of that nature. To which she swiftly replied, do you want to, do you want me to answer the question or do you want to answer the question? Or it was, do you want to answer the question or do you want me to answer the question? I think that's how it went. Either way, mm-hmm. though, um, that was the beginning of it. And then she further went on to, you know, give an, an answer and, you know, a lot of other things happen. I know that Ashley has a lot of information, I'm sure. Well, maybe not a lot, but we don't, nobody, neither one of us, let's just, let's just call it. Neither one of us really have any, a lot of information about this because we weren't in Barcelona and we're only going off of what we've seen on Twitter, which is not the most coherent form of communication all the time. So, yeah. Um, so a couple things about this. Um, number one, why anybody would ask Lana Perea, who plays Regina, about the Captain Swan relationship? Beyond me. 
Now, if it was in, like, conjunction of some kind of, you know, like, plan or whatever, like, maybe not plan, but if there was, like, any intention to have, like, a follow-up question of, like, well, how does this impact Swan Queen and things of that nature, I don't know. I'm not saying that that's what happened, and I'm not saying that all Swan Queeners are like that or all Captain Swan people. None of that. I'm just speculating on what happened in this situation with these people. Um. I don't, that doesn't like, I could see how maybe that would be a reason why you would ask her about the Captain Swan relationship, but otherwise that makes no sense whatsoever. It more just seems like that's like, if that's your question and you're just asking it of whatever actor is around, then you don't actually want to talk to the actor who's in front of you. You just want to pose your question to somebody who is closely connected enough to the show that they might bring some new insight that you haven't heard before. That would, that's my thinking. That's my evaluation of the situation. Um, because it just doesn't make sense. Why would you ask an actor who has, who doesn't play either one of the characters that you're asking about, about those characters? Like that doesn't make any sense. That all that means is that you just want to ask your freaking question about Captain Swan because you just want to know something and it doesn't matter who it is. It's somebody connected to the show, so oh my god, let me ask. Or and that's how it seems. I'm sure I'm being hard. Yeah. No, or there's another there's another flavor to that, but I'll let you go because you have multiple points. But I'll let you go. Yeah. Or they maybe they wanted her not to say something positive about it. And that's why the reaction happened. Because she was you know, I mean, she wasn't saying anything that was incorrect. Hook has come a long way since she's come on the show. So, okay. but okay. that could just be that. Anyway, what were your other, uh, you had, I, I, I could sense more points coming forth that. Oh, Please continue. Oh, oh, God, yes. There's so many more points. Okay. So the second thing about this, right, because I've talked about this, I don't normally speak the way that I am about to speak because I don't want to seem arrogant or egotistical or whatever any like i i just i i i'm attempting to stay humble about the experiences that i have had in the positions that i have been put in so having said that you're about to hear something completely new from me if you are in fact new to this podcast well actually that doesn't make sense you're going to hear something new from me if you've been listening to this podcast and if you're new to this podcast you're about to hear something that you definitely should not use to judge to form an opinion about the rest of the episodes because I never talk about this otherwise. So there's a thing that we all have discussed here on this podcast, and I've discussed it online. I've discussed it privately with Ashley, um, other onesers such as Ray, um, and many other online friends and in person in real life. Like, well, not real life because Ray is my friend in real life too. It's just through the internet. So anyways, there are a lot of other people. And if I'm saying Ray and you don't know who I'm talking about, go check my Twitter because it's not that hard to figure out who she is. Um, and <laughs> with Maggie, as a matter of fact, too, and a bunch of other people. Being respectful in general is something that really, really – I'm not even speaking very coherently. Let me begin again. Having respect for other people is a quality that seems to be lacking in today's society, much to the detriment of things, as you can clearly tell by the fact that a lot of things are falling apart right now at several levels, which is all related to the government. But that's another podcast entirely. 
So having just respect and normal is something that every single person should have because you never know what kind of journey that person is going through, what they're feeling that day, and they're just another fucking human being, so you should be treating them with some kind of fucking respect. Like, it does not matter who it is. You should be treating them with respect regardless. You know, do your best at least. I know that sometimes there are people who piss me off, and I am not perfect at this either, so I'm not saying that I'm, like, the perfect person who is, like, casting judgment upon all of thou. It's not that kind of situation. I can hold myself to account just as well and say that I am not always – I am guilty of being disrespectful of people sometimes, and I know it. Like I said, we're all on a journey here together. So I'm just going to give y'all some advice from where I'm at in my part of the journey because even though I can be petty sometimes, I damn sure know what the hell respect is. So let me give you an insider's example of what respect is, okay? It happens to be a fact of the matter that on my Twitter feed, Jennifer Morrison, Lana Perea, and Rebecca Mater all follow me. They do. They follow lots of other people as well. I know I'm not the only person in the world, and I hate to talk about this. This is the part where I feel like I'm bragging and egotistical, and I hate it, but it's just to demonstrate the point. All three of these women follow me on Twitter, and if and there are several other actors online who interact with me who are from the show that I am friends with either on Facebook or whatever. I have talked and interviewed the creators of this show. I've spoken to Jane Espenson. I've spoken to Andrew Chambliss. I've spoken to David H. Goodman. I've spoken to one of the makeup artists, um, Kaylee, I God, her whole name, I don't know how to say her last name because it's French, I think, but Kaylee, I've spoken to her. I've spoken to producers of the show. I've spoken to actors on the show. And not once have I ever, ever disrespected them in any way, like, directly, and I have never said anything that I would not say to their faces either, and that's the most important thing. But back to the Twitter point, all three of those women follow me, and it is rare that I send any of them a private message or even a tweet at this point, because my thing is, they are clearly so inundated by the amount of social media interactions and fan engagements that they have to go through on a daily basis through the internet and sometimes in person when they're at a con that I don't want to be the kind of person who causes them additional stress by hitting them up all the time, privately or otherwise, because I'm respectful of the fact that I don't know them. Like personally, we've met, we might be like acquaintances in some kind of way, but we're not like friends. We're not best buddies. I'm not braiding Lana's hair on Saturday nights while, you know, Bex is roasting marshmallows. (laughs) painting her toenails. It's not that kind of a situation. I leave them alone because I'm respectful of them, number one, as people, number two, as busy actors in a really busy world where they are busy all of the time. And thirdly, to that point, they have a lot of fans who are also contributing to the whole time taking up situation because it's not just like when they have to go to the show and spend 18 hours on set or when they're not on set and they're, like, rehearsing their lines. And, like, for Lana, when she makes all of her notes on her scripts that she's talking about, and, like, when they do a flashback, she makes a note of whatever it is in the timeline that Regina is at so that she has an idea of where her feelings are at and all that. All of that takes a lot of time. They're, ta- they're taking their personal time and putting it into the work for the enjoyment of all of us. They don't have to do this. They don't have to engage with us on Twitter the way that they do. Lana and Bex do not have to do their ask Bex, ask Lana. They don't have to do all of the conventions where they take all of these pictures and sign all of these autographs and have all of these meet and greets. They don't have to do it. But they give up their time and put their time into their work 
and into their fans. And so is it really too much to ask that people not treat them disrespectfully at, when they're at a con? Who the hell asked somebody, like an actor, oh, hey, by the way, what about these actors that you have nothing to do with as far as the show goes, like in their relationship, and then boo their answer? Like, who the hell are those people? And I'm sure that a lot of people might be listening to this podcast and y'all might be hating on me, or maybe not. Who knows? There might be like all those three people who listen to this podcast, most likely. Um, I don't really check the stats because those numbers scare me to think, like, so I just don't even really look anymore. But um, but back to the whole point, though, like, nobody should ever, ever do that. And if somebody, like, I mean, oh, God, this is going to sound so horrible. If somebody who is in a position to engage with them on a more personal basis has the opportunity to and does not do it, just so you know, like, I know I've never, like, talked about that before, but if you are one of those people who maybe does that and you're maybe like, maybe this, what I've just said, click the light on for you. And maybe you're considering your behavior. If somebody like me who has such personal engagement and interaction and access to them, leaves them alone. I would hope that that behavior would come across as something that should be modeled, not ridiculed. Modeled and not mocked. Because you should absolutely be respecting these people when they're sitting there answering your questions that you're throwing at them about something that has absolutely nothing to fucking do with them. Show these people some respect. They don't owe you anything. You don't own the world. Stop whining about everything that you're not getting your way. Move on with your life. And that's all I have to say. Well, <laughs> My thoughts on this, because I was just, uh, first off, I'm not going to lie to you, again, birthday weekend, I saw, I was like, I, I kind of clued in on what was happening. I was like, mm, not today, Satan, I will not not look at this this weekend. Because it just, it, it I can tell you're, you're frustrated, Zach, because it, and it frustrates me as well, for the same reasons. Like, Zach and I have been working together for what, three years now? Three years or something, yeah. Three years. Um, so we've kind of shared some of this, some similar experiences, um, in regards to, um, having time with the creators of the show, uh, both the cast and the crew and, uh, the writers, et cetera. And it just frustrates me a bit because it's not even... I mean, it's definitely the, the the booing of it, but it's also the fact that she she being Lana, but all these actors may not say the things you want them to say. You may not agree with them, and that doesn't give you the right to boo them. In the same way that if somebody disagrees with you online, that doesn't give you the right to start like hounding them and like tweeting them like for a million years and a million threads and things like that. Um, I had mentioned, I spoke with Will Wheaton at, at C2E2 and he said he'd really liked the vibe of the con. And I honestly, again, it had been up since 4:30, So I don't know if I mentioned specifically what it was about this larger international convention that displeased him so much. But what it was is that a fan grabbed him in his hotel lobby and that's what he just that's that's what put him off of it entirely. That's what put him off the entire con was the attitude surrounding it that that was okay 
for someone who wasn't even attending the con to find out where he was staying and accost him in the lobby of his hotel. Um, and that speaks to what Zach was saying before about boundaries, because that's really what we're talking about here is boundaries and respect. I've seen it when when I've I've had a, I've been very um, lucky to see filming um, in Steveson, and the majority, the vast majority of folks who come out and watch are very respectful. But there's always a few fans who don't really toe the line, in my opinion, because. You have cast and crew, mostly the crew on set, who are trying to do their work, and they're working with heavy machinery, cranes and lighting and such. And so if they ask you to step back, if they ask you to stand in a certain spot, that doesn't mean stand there for five minutes and then get closer just because you want a good photo. And that's the same thing. If they say rolling, that means you need to be quiet because those mics are extremely sensitive and they will pick up everything from filming. And some folks don't understand that. And it, it, it's in every interaction that we have with the cast specifically, but also with the crew and the writers, they're at work, even if they're at a convention, because conventions are fun times for us. That's still them being at work. It could be fun for them. They do karaoke. They have, they have a hoot and a holler and they get to see their castmate friends and stuff. But at the same time, they're still at work, and we're still in their office. So there is kind of a, a level of respect, and you don't really want to put them on the spot while they're – I mean, they're up there. They're very vulnerable being the only ones on stage being, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're questioning them. And it's a Q&A. That's the cue. And it's, it's a very, you know, daunting to be put on the spot there. So I feel on the whole – there needs to be some reflection in regards to, and then this doesn't even just go for just once upon a time fans. This is fans in general. This is fans interacting online, just kind of, you know, counting to 10 before you speak type of thing, thinking, yes, I want to fire off this response. Yes, I want, I I want the attention. I want so-and-so to tweet me back, but how you're going about certain things, I guess you have to think about what it would be like to be in their shoes. What would it be like for you to be on stage and to give your honest opinion on something and then have a, a crowd of uh, a couple hundred people start booing you because of your opinion? Like, I know people get really frustrated and angry and upset about when somebody tweets them something they don't agree about, and that's through a screen. Imagine, like, being on stage and having people who you thought were rooting for you kind of boo your honest opinion when you're, you're sharing, you know, well, this is what I think when you're sharing your thoughts. It's just, it's it's just, and I understand I'm rambling here a bit, but the climate of fandom is kind of spiraling in a direction that I've felt for a very long time has just been very, like, we, we can do so much better. Oh, my God. And I feel like we just need to, we just need to start. It's no, like... I don't need ever like 900 hot takes online about, you know, remember this, that, and the other, like even what we're saying right now is probably like, well, duh, obvious common human decency. Like if I were listening to what I'm saying right now, I'd be like, no shit, Sherlock. But at the same time, it's unfortunate that a dialogue needs to happen. It needs to be said. And I'm not saying like jump on other people and attack them online and stuff, but you know, at a convention, if someone was kind of, I don't even remember when it was, 
but I, somebody said something and they were like being really nasty. Somebody else about a, sh- a ship. And I was just like, you know, it's a really shitty attitude. And they kind of looked at me like, excuse me. And I'm like, well, it is like, you're, you're basically, you know, tearing somebody down because they don't like the same flavor of ice cream as you. That's how inconsequential this is. Like I may be chocolate ice cream for life and Zach may be vanilla, but I don't t- go, you know, tweet him and say vanilla sucks like you know you you're supporting a problematic ice cream flavor you need to go to hell <laughs> you know what i mean um so you do realize by the end of tonight i am going to tweet you that vanilla sucks <laughs> i'm joking um That's fine. i just oh so. <laughs> <laughs> aha see um it's I just, I feel like we need to do better, and I feel like, like, it starts with people setting good examples within the fandom. It starts, you know, there is no one bad ship, but there is a such thing as bad shippers, and I've said this before, I feel like it's not up to the cast or the crew or the creators to police anybody's fandom preferences, and you need to tell XYZ shippers to knock it off, or you need to tell so-and-so, you know, they, they are the ones who are harassing. It's not us, it's them. You know, do you hear what that sounds like? It's not us, it's them. Like, put that in any other situation, and you already know how wrong that is. And, and, and it's in a situation with fandom that is so not – I understand fandom is very important. I do very, very much so because it has given me some of the best years and best friends I've ever had in my entire life. I just, you know, I just my 30th birthday. I had one of the best birthdays I ever had, and it's all thanks to people that I know through this show. I understand how important this is. I really do. But at the same time, it's not worth real life consequences. So what I'm saying is, is that we need to kind of keep each other in check in a way, and we need to remember that. The best way somebody put this to me was that you do realize that the actors, they all poop, right? They're human. They've all at one, at one point, oh, that's what it was. They've all at one point or another probably had uncontrollable diarrhea. And I know that's such a weird thing to say, but it really does kind of humanize somebody when you're like, President Obama at one point or another probably had like the worst giardia of his life. But that makes him a man, not a, not a myth. And mm. you just have to think, at the end of the day... Lana puts on her jammies and she probably sees a bunch of really shitty tweets and that probably doesn't make her feel so great. You know, Sean McGuire, you know, he's sitting at home with his family, with his child. And if somebody's like, he opens up Twitter because he wants to see what the fans are saying. And he sees 5 million tweets about people. Maybe they're saying some crappy things or maybe they're, they're getting on his butt. And it's like, well, I don't, why, 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 I don't want to be on this. Like, it's just, and I, I, I need to cut this short because I really am truly rambling, but it's just, <sighs> fandom can be so powerful and so wonderful. It's like the magic on the show. It could be good, it could be dark, and it could be light. And I feel like there's a lot Great more point. darkness that's been creeping in. Yeah. Use it for good. Think about all the charities that people are supporting. Think about things like Cancer Get Lost and all the money getting raised for things. That's fans getting together. That's fans supporting the show, supporting the actors, supporting each other. That's what we need. We need support. We don't need, even in the smallest moments, 
to tear each other down because we're in a place in the world right now where, you know, the writers of our favorite things are going to go on strike. That means our favorite things are probably going to go away for a while. So we really need to look for the light and to not let squabbles and disagreements and feelings not aligning trouble us. I am very good friends with a hardcore swan queen shipper, a hardcore once upon a, or once upon a, wow, Ashley, bad, outlaw queen shipper, and then one of my other friends ships Captain Swan, outlaw queen, and swan queen. And we have dinner together, and nobody murders each other over the table because the people are more important than the ship. And we all support the show, and maybe we all don't like the show. And we get into great debates about, you know, I defend one thing and they maybe tear down another thing, but that never, I never get mad at them for it. And maybe I still don't say something that I want to say because I know that my friendship's more important than being right in that moment about a TV show. So, in conclusion, we got to be better. We just got to. And and I guess that's all I, I could say about that. Sorry, I went for a oh, long wait. time there, Zach. Um, well, hello. Did you hear me? Um, always <laughs> the end tonight, are you? Um, clearly, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm like, I'm, excuse me, um, I'm the more passionate of the two of us. So <laughs> between me and Ashley, I'm the more passionate one. Um, anyways, guys, what she said is correct. We're going to wrap this point up and move on, but, um, what she said is correct. We do need to do better and we can all help each other out. I mean, and it's also too, like another thing, just to piggyback, piggyback off this. It's okay to call yourself out on bad behavior. It's okay. It's okay to feel guilt and be like, oh man, you just can't dwell on it. If you find yourself doing something that you don't like and you want to do something better, then you just got to stop, acknowledge it, call yourself on your own bullshit, and don't play around. Call yourself on it. Say, okay, how I need to change this. What do I? How do I want to change it? And then do it. And if you know, and if it happens again, and you know, the same situation happens again, and you respond differently, awesome. If eventually you have another setback and you maybe don't react the way that you would prefer, that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. I feel like a lot of the reason why people don't want to back down from their positions is because they're so full of pride and they don't want to admit that they're wrong and and that that's what it is because they don't want to admit that they can make a mistake, but it's okay. Like, it's all right. Be cool, man. Anyways. Entertainment Weekly released a sneak peek photo of Emma in her wedding dress. Parents are on either side of her. Henry and Regina are in the background. In addition to the photo, Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kitsis made the following points. Quote, Emma knows the final battle is in front of her, but she in this moment is brave and is not going to let the troubles of whatever they're dealing with get in the way of her happiness. She's truly following her mother's advice to live her life. That was from Eddie. And then Adam said, she either dies or she doesn't die or something else happens. To which Eddie said, In our minds, the final battle is probably not what you think it is. Like any good battle, sometimes it's not a battle in the literal sense of a fight. Adam added, it is a battle. It is different than the ones we've seen before, and it is very personal to Emma. 
Now, on the one hand, I don't know what to say about that. Um, I think it's interesting that they say the final battle is probably not what you think it is. Like any good battle, sometimes it's not a battle, literal sense of a fight, different than the ones we've seen before, very personal drama. Okay. I truly, guys, like with all of the theorizing that I've ever done, I can I can only think of one thing. Um, but it's such a small scale thing that they would have to execute it absolutely perfectly in order for it to hit the mark. I think, or it's not going to work or I'm just completely wrong. So here's my guess. <laughs> or just, it's like, I'll pose it as a question. What if the final battle is literally <laughs> Emma trying to get all of them to cooperate and get along at the dinner table? <laughs> I'd love it. Like, but what if they get, what if they give us the Thanksgiving dinner that we've all joked about as the final battle where Emma has to make them stop fighting? <laughs> the only thing I can think of, truly, honestly. <laughs> I kind of want it. Uh, yeah. Um, Ooh. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh no! It was I, I just I just noticed, and I don't think we have this in our notes uh, for uh, news bulletins. So I, I can I don't know if you want to jump to that next. Well, it, we need to discuss. Hmm. Yeah, we have to discuss the dress first. Okay. Now here's the thing: I can't decide if I like it or not. That is. For me, I mean, I I love I love the lace sleeves. I I mean, I know it, it's based off of Grace Kelly's dress. I'm very aware of that. Um, but I and I know I know that I love the lace sleeves. It's the neckline that's kind of bothering me. And I kind of personally, I am never a fan of updos with uh for wedding hair. Like I always like if you have long beautiful hair, like do some waves, babe. Like, but then again, I am a sucker for long beautiful hair, so that's a whole nother podcast altogether. Um, but on the other hand, and I'm sorry, all of my friends whose weddings that I have attended, but I don't think I've ever truly liked anybody else's dress. I feel like a wedding dress is also kind of like a very very subjective thing. So. Like, I've never been, I've never to a friend's wedding where I've been like, yeah, I'd wear that. Because, I mean, this, I know what suits me. I know what doesn't suit me. I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll tweak this. Because for me, I'd love, her, I'd love it if she kept the lace sleeves but had a different neckline, more open neckline. Um, but, yeah. So, I can't decide if I like it or not. I'm leaning towards the not, but at the same time, I'm like, oh. I mean, I have to see it move. I have to see her walk in it because we've just seen stills and I feel like I've seen, I think I've only ever seen the one angle too. So maybe it looks different from the front. I don't know. But anyway, uh, what do you think of the dress Zach? 
Um, I think it's a very pretty dress. I do. Um, it is clearly based off of Grace Kelly's dress. For those of you who might be too young or don't know, which, my God, it shocks me to have to say that, but at the same time, we are almost too young to know. Um, <laughs> Grace Kelly was a very famous actress back in the day, golden age of Hollywood, and she ended up getting proposed to by the prince of the country, Monaco, um, to which she accepted, and um, she ended up becoming, you know, the princess of Monaco, like, you know. And everybody said it was a real-life fairy tale, right? Because, I mean, it basically is. Um, the thing is, though, well, with that, and they said they said that, you know, they, they wanted to use Grace Kelly's dress as, as part of the inspiration on it because of the fact that it was like a kind of real life fairy tale and all of, you know, that kind of lovely thing. Um, the thing about that though, a couple things about it. Number one, Grace Kelly and the Prince of Monaco weren't like really hardcore dating and in love romantically when they got married. Um, and she was actually forced to give up her acting career when she married him. Um, so there's that, uh, that's just historical fact. And also I do think that that dress is gorgeous because it truly is gorgeous. It is a lovely piece of work. I like it a lot. I have two things about it. Number one, it looks, it's basically looks exactly like Grace Kelly's wedding dress. Um, I mean, right down to the details of, like, the, the – I don't know what they're called, but there's, like, these things that go up her neck, like, down the front, and they're, like – they look like beads. They're almost like these fancy buttons or something. I don't know. I'm not good with, like, those parts. I don't think they have a name. I think they're just fancy buttons, but I know what you mean. They're just – they're fancy button-looking things, right? And then the detail on the shoulder, the veil, like, the, the beading that work on the – that detail on the veil – it all it looks exactly like Grace Kelly dress, but that's the whole thing, though, right? It looks just like Grace Kelly's dress. I can understand taking inspiration from it, certainly in some ways, um, maybe like the silhouette, um, you know, like the cut of it, like the way that it has that high collar, you know, maybe that kind of thing. Um, but to me, just in my opinion, from a more like design point of view, like I, I'm speaking of all of this as if it were me. So if it were me, I would have done it like I wouldn't have done a Grace Kelly dress because we've already seen a Grace Kelly dress and people already know what the Grace Kelly dress looks like. So I'm not going to put Emma in an exact clone of the Grace Kelly dress because I want her to have something new and different and stuff, right? So um, there's that whole factor. But then also looking at it too, if it were me, um, Snow White's wedding dress is number one like her mom's wedding dress. So it was like that whole vintage thing. Um, kind of like the handing it down generationally thing, which is kind of a nice maybe tradition for them to have at least something like that. Um, you know, something to maybe solidify their relationship a little bit um, more. Um, so their whole family heirloom factor, right? Um, and also the fact that Snow White's wedding dress has white feathers on it. Um, white feathers are kind of like a swan thing. 
So mm. I feel like thematically, um, it would also fit with her character and her name. Um, and also, if we're you know, it's been made very clear that the show is probably going to be undergoing a reboot. They said stated categorically now that they are going to be ending the stories of certain characters, and it's pretty much we all know that Snow and Charming are not going to be coming back unless it's like they come in as a guest star, which is fine. Um, cause they're kind of basically holding that kind of position now. So it's not like it's going to have really, I mean, unfortunately, I hate to say this since they're like the foundation of the show, but I actually don't think it would have a huge impact on the storytelling and might give more room for the other characters who do stay, which, you know, might not be a bad thing. So I'm kind of becoming a little bit more open-minded to this as I think about it. But anyways, um, I feel like thematically it would bring the show kind of full circle if we are ending Snow and Charming's kind of story and letting them kind of settle in and raise baby Neil and have a life um, off screen, then why not really bring it full circle and put Emma in her mother's dress and have that kind of be the thing. To that point, though, I'm also kind of wondering um, if this wedding is the like the dress that we saw um, – is like the first go round at the wedding and that it actually gets interrupted like Snow and Charming did. And she has to go deal with something. They have to deal with some menace or whatever. And then when they're done, like the, you know, the dress gets ruined in the process. Right. And then at, you know, she's left with no dress. So then they put her in Snow's dress and she gets married in that. And that's like the surprise. Um, Ooh, like that. And the reason why I say that, and I may be completely off the mark here, but it feels like to me, like if it were me, I would – well, actually, I can't make that point without saying the first thing. Damn. So it seems odd to me that they would release the photo of Emma in her wedding dress because, like, that seems like such a major thing that you would want to save the reveal for the episode, right, to, like, get people to watch and be like, oh, what's she going to look like in her dress? Um, so that was kind of a shock to me that they put that out and the picture of Hook wearing his tux too. Um, that kind of really surprised me that they had released that already because it seems like that would be something that, you know, you would want to, it's like the end of the movie. That's not something you want to put in the trailer. Like you want to keep, you know, you want to save that surprise for the audience when they're watching it. At the same time, from a marketing point of view, I can understand why they might want to put those pictures out there to get people more excited. Who's the people who are excited about that wedding? At least I am not one of them. Um, so I, but so, you know, I, that's why I'm wondering if it was like a red herring, like if it were me, then like, I, I would want to keep the dress a secret. It's kind of like, well, then maybe they did release it as like a thing to like be a red herring and, and not let us know that she actually is going to wear Snow's dress and get married in that. Um, but then at the same time, thinking about Emma, like, I like the fact that, you know, they're letting Emma be not as that I like the fact that they're writing Emma in a way that she's not as guarded, but I don't like the fact that me, that the costuming is kind of changing. Like I, I appreciate the fact that it's becoming more feminine and more delicate, but I feel like in some way, and it may not even be the wardrobe, but I feel like in some way, Emma has lost a little bit of her bite. Um, she still has it in certain scenes. Like, it's not like it's totally gone. But I feel like the first season she and, you know, she was just so different. Like, I don't, I don't know, maybe whatever. Um, but I also think it would be great if she, like, 
ended up pulling like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie version and like threw her her red leather jacket on over the dress like and then got on a Harley with Hook and like they rode off or something like that would be cute too. Like there are ways that it would be cute that I would like even if I'm not excited about it. Anyways, I'm talking a lot. Ashley, what do you think about this? Do you want to steer it to the other direction? We still have more points to get to, my God. <laughs> um, I think that we've we pretty much said all we need to say about the dress. Um yeah, it's just it just it doesn't right. seem to be like an odd choice, but it just seems like well I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, we can move on to other points because we do have quite a few more points. All right. Why don't you take us to the other article and then we'll do the remaining episodes and then actually talk about the show. Okay, well, I actually have another quick thing before I get to the article um, that I forgot about until today. Um, the new Wendy Tolliver book came out today, the Once Upon a Time Regina Rising. Wendy Tolliver, uh, you may know, wrote an untold tale. Um, so I'm just going to read you the little book jacket blurby deal here. Um, but, yeah, the book is out on sale today. Uh, it's listed under juvenile fiction, so that's probably where you'd be able to find it. <clears throat> but the uh, blurb says, 16-year-old Regina is very different from the Regina known by fans of ABC's Once Upon a Time. She seeks romance, adventure, and approval. Of course, getting approval from a mother like Cora is next to impossible. For Regina, friendships have always been a rare commodity. Could it be that Regina has finally found a a true friend? Or is it too good to be true? As Regina struggles to find her own identity and create her own destiny, she discovers that her fate might just be might just be to become everything she despises. Sorry, that was an odd sentence. Um, so yeah, so that is out today. I'm my personal opinion is I feel like we've gotten a lot of Regina's backstory, so maybe we should have gotten a different character's uh, young years, but that's just me. Uh, really quick, what do you think, Zach? I'm sorry, I was talking you... in the chat room. Ah, I'm. I mean. I kind of want to read it. I'm also kind of not sure if I would be. Well, maybe I would. I don't know if I'm going for it. I'm more interested in this than I was in that um, comic book or whatever. Which, oh, oh, I know which one you mean. Yeah. yeah. The, so, first, the first graphic novel. All right. So let's see. We have other points. Let's get to this quickly. Uh, well, oh, I article. have the article. Uh, well, no, because I'll do the remaining episodes, and then you get to the other article, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So the remaining episodes that we have, starting next week, it's The Blackberry, written by Jerome Schwartz and Dana Horgan, directed by Ulrich Riley, and then after that is The Song in Your Heart, which is the Once Upon a Time musical episode. It's the musical episode. It's written by David H. Goodman and Andrew Chambliss, directed by Ron Underwood. Musical. And then and, and then The Final Battle, which was written by Adam and Eddie. Part 1, directed by Steve Perlman. Part 2, directed by Ralph Hemmaker. God, there's only three left. Jesus. Okay. Um, I don't want it to end. No. All right. So, um, Ashley has an article that was released today, and then we'll get into our recap. Go. (laughs) 
So today, uh, Entertainment Weekly and Natalie Abrams released an article um, about a potential vignette episode or the idea they had for a potential vignette episode. Um, I'll just read you a little bit of the article right here to give you an idea. Hoping for answers about your favorite secondary characters before Once Upon a Time's sixth season ends? Well, you'll have to wait a bit longer. EW can reveal that there were very early plans to do a vignette-style episode that would have provided an update or even some closure on secondary characters whose stories haven't been touched upon in a while. Rumor has it the idea was open was to open on Henry, Jared Gilmore, and a storybook as he recounted tales about Maleficent, Kristen Bauer Van Stratton, and Lily Agnes Brucker, Bruckner, blah, um, Will, Michael Saka, and Anastasia, Emma Rigby, and others. Alas, the hour didn't make it into the lineup this year. We molded and we hope someday we'll get to it, executive producer Eddie Kitsis tells EW. Um, and they go on to talk about how there's so much they want to explore with the core characters. And while they'd love to kind of tie neat bows with a lot of these secondary characters that we're all very invested in, it wouldn't it wouldn't have they wouldn't really i don't want to say they wouldn't have the time for it but basically that's what they were implying is that if uh, eddie says quote if we were doing 22 episodes and you were bringing all of them you could almost get away with it more because you get right onto the next one but if you have to wait a couple of weeks to get back to the main plot of what's going on it's tough balancing act it's just hard so they didn't want to basically break up the action of the season by kind of taking a breather episode with this vignette I personally am very disappointed to hear this news because I would be all over a vignette episode, especially one opening with Henry and a book. And uh, mm, this is such a good idea. I want them to do it so badly. Um, so I'm a little perturbed that we're not going to be able to see that this year. That it was, it was, it was, you know, it was cooking in the oven, and we're not going to see it. What do you think, Zach? Oh, oh, one more thing. They could do this over the hiatus. They could do webisodes. Uh, it would be easy. They have the sets uh, available, and they could make webisodes. And you know, it would probably work in a lot easier with a lot of the different actors' availabilities to do webisodes. So what I'm getting at, in conclusion, is do webisodes, Zach. <laughs> Ready? Okay. All right, here we go. Fade in. Regina's house. Exterior. Day. Establishment shot. Interior. Regina's living room. Day. We see Henry sitting on the couch. The Once Upon a Time book sits on the coffee table open in front of him. Close up on his hand holding the pen in caps. The author's pen as he struggles to complete a sentence. Henry, ugh. Regina walks in. Regina, Henry, what's wrong? Henry, I'm trying to finish the stories of some of the people in town to give them their happy ending before the final battle. And I just can't figure out how, what to do. Or I just can't figure out how to write it sometimes. Regina, here, let me help you. We can do it together. Regina sits down on the couch next to Henry. 
She pulls out, she poofs a piece of paper and a pen into existence. Regina, all right, so where do we start? Henry smirks, looks at her. Henry, once upon a time. Regina, all right, duh. Once upon a time. We see the camera move into the pit, uh, into a drawing on the book as we move into the flashback. And then it writes itself. Like, seriously. It writes itself. Mm-hmm. Or if I want it doesn't it. write it, if it doesn't write it, and you need somebody to write it, clearly just came up with something. Um, if you want to do webisodes, if anybody ever hears this, I'm available. Give me a webisodes. call. Webisodes. 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 Grabby hands. I I just because I feel like I, I, how many discussions I've ever had with fans, they're like, man, I really want to know what they could do a Ruby Dorothy episode. I mean, come on, man, I want it in my life. Yep. I want it bad. Um, yeah, I think that it's brilliant. I think that they should totally do this. Um, it would work with actor schedules, hopefully, because it would be something short. It's not even a full episode. It doesn't have to be a full 30 minutes. You could produce a quick five-minute video for each person. Like, it really wouldn't take very much using sets that are already established. Get the actors in real quick. Maybe you you know, negotiate a reduced rate for a reduced, like a reduced fee <laughs> for their appearance and get it going. Well, so... I don't know how But lawyers, make it happen. Anybody at Kitsis Horowitz who's hearing this, give me a call. I would love to work with you. Seriously. I know your characters as well as you do. Um, all right. Let's see here. Let's get into our review of the episode now that we finished the first hour of news. Jesus. All right. If you're new to the podcast, I promise to normally get through it a lot faster. If I hadn't gone off on my tangent about the whole respect thing, probably would have been here a lot sooner. But also another thing. There was a seed that needed to be spilled. Mm-hmm. All right. Overall, Ashley, what did you think of this episode? No spoilers. Well, I loved it. This, I, mm, I was really worried that uh, the quote end quote Oz episode, as it was kind of being called, would be like a filler episode. It would be a huge sidetrack, but this was really plot heavy and I loved it. And I loved more Jamie Murray and Rebecca Mater on screen. And Bex was in fine form in this episode. There were a few moments just wasn't what she was saying. It was how she was saying it. And I was just very like, yes, my girl. Um, I just had a really good time watching everything. And I love seeing us because I love that the chamber um I think it's one of their their most visually interesting sets because it's so dynamic with the green bubbles and all that. Like it's always something kind of moving and ticking uh, on that set. So it was really great to see it again. But I just this was a like this was probably my favorite episode in, in of the ones that we've had so far. Like I, I normally 
I felt that a few things were lacking here and there. We've discussed it all in the podcast. They, you know, well, I liked X, but I didn't really care for Y, and, and Y was Z in there at all. But pretty much everything in this episode I really, really enjoyed. So I just, more, more of that, yes. So anyway, what did you think, Zach? Um... I'm going to go storyline by storyline. Okay. I loved what was happening with Zelina and the Blackberry. I loved it. Um, of, funny enough, of all the people in town to have a direct one-on-one confrontation with the Blackberry, I feel like it could have only ever been Zelina because Regina has gone soft. And Zelina still has an edge that I, that Zelina has always had an edge to her that Regina never had. Um, it was, it's just different. You know, Lana clearly can bring it and she's totally evil, but there's something in Bex's performance that I think can, I think that Bex, oh, I know what it is. There's something about Bex's performance that reads a little bit more psychotic than Regina well, does. I mean, she, she never lost that, like, crazy eye she used to have when she was, like, had Rumpel in a cage in the basement. You know what I mean? Like, yes, she's a yeah. mummy now, but she's, like, touch a daughter, a hair of my daughter's head, and I'm going to break you in half, mofo. Yeah, that's what I mean. She was, um, Zelina's a much more, um... Chaotic oh, character. Thank you. Yeah, you like psychotic, but I yeah. Well, I was actually going to say chaotic as well, but she's a much more chaotic and psychotic character. I think. Not saying she's like a well, no, she is kind of a psycho crazy. Um, I mean a little bit, you know. I mean, really, all of them are psycho but, with the heart of gold. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, like she's in the loony bin, but she's also working on her team, so you can't be that mad at her. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something about her about her performance that just reads that way. So I feel like that was the that's what gave her the oomph. Um, that's what gave her the balls to be able to go up and and talk to the Black Fairy the way that she did. Like she straight up wasn't afraid, blasted her ass back with magic. Like gave no f in the world, was ready to do her in right there, and tried. Um, I just loved it. I love what was happening there. Um, the flashback for me, I appreciate the attempt. I know what they were trying to do. Um, I just feel like here's like they were I weak. I, they were weak, but they weren't terrible. I felt like some of it wasn't like earned. Well, not necessarily not earned. Um, I actually think this speaks to a larger issue of the storytelling, like in the changes that it's undergone. Because I think in the first season they had things set up a little bit more, like over time. Um, cause I feel like they had had enough, you know, they had their plan for what they wanted to do. So they had enough time to work it out. And I think that as time has gone by and, you know, plans have changed and they've come up with one idea after another, you don't have as much time to maybe plant the seeds long-term as much as they did in the first season. So for me, it just felt like more like a, a plot convenience to be introducing, 
it's this crimson heart element into it because it just, what it felt more like to me was that they had the idea of having the like the cave full of crystals and the blackberry and Zelina having a confrontation and Zelina's magic turning it black, you know, turning the crystals black, and then, you know, in order to undo all of that, she sacrifices her magic. I I mean I and I have no idea, but. I, the way that the episode like came across to me, I feel like that was the idea that they had first, and then they wrote the flashback in such a way so as to fill in where the MacGuffin of the episode, the Crimson Heart, came from. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, because I, I also I agree with that. I, that's what I think too. And I think that they probably, uh, I don't. I think that they could have gotten away with not having a to introduce an object to remove magic. I feel like they could have found a different way via the crystals or whatever to have her do what she did. We didn't need to introduce the Crimson Heart. I will say, though, the CGI on the lion was awesome. And when he was all cowardly, I was like, okay, no. It reminded me of my cat if I accidentally step on his foot. I was like, baby. Oh, George. Um, I know. I, mm-hmm. First of all, the lion was scary. The lion was creepy. The lion kind of reminded me of that, of the Cheshire cat. The tiger? From Wonder- oh. No, the Cheshire cat from Wonderland. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, he was much more detailed. He reminded me of the tiger from um, The Walking Dead, to be perfectly honest. Like there was some fine detail in that CGI, and he was intimidating. Like, when he dragged off uh, the Tin Man, I was like, holy crap! Oh! Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I the flash, that was how I felt about the flashback. And then the wedding planning stuff, eh. <laughs> I'm so like I'm really okay. I'm gonna try and be fair and objective here because it was cute to see Snow and Charming being like in wedding planning mode, and Dave, you know, David was like clearly objecting to everything, and you know, all that stuff. Um, I don't know that I completely understand. The reasoning um, behind it, for sure, um, do not. So he was he wants Daddy's little girl to have a fairy tale wedding, like a real fairy tale wedding, because they're friggin' fairy tale characters. That's what I got from it. Where Snow White was just, I'm just happy to be here, and with my gigantic wedding binder, which cracked me up. That's how I interpreted it, though. I don't know. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. I'm going to watch it again. Hold on. We're going to play this again. I'll play the whole episode? David, if this is about how that ship has sailed, and there's a pirate on it, deal with it. Okay, so first of all... <laughs> first of all... Did y'all hear that? Did you hear that? That was a good line. That was a really good line. When she said that, I was like, girl, I was like, 
I even tweeted it too. I was like, what's their fan have just had a bomb dropped on him? I wonder how everyone's doing. <laughs> because I know that as Oh I did I didn't pick up on that until right now. <laughs> if this is about Hook, that ship has sailed and there's a pirate on it, deal with it. Well, if that's not meta, I don't know. <laughs> I like that, Ashley. How did I not pick that up? Oh my god! No, that is so totally meta. That's hysterical. Like I will not deal with it because I hate it. But I'm not like gonna sit here and and really spend a whole lot of time being like err about it. Like err, you're not gonna err on the pirate, me? Oh Jesus. Um, I well. You know how did like okay here's okay, I'm a huge Peter Pan fan like I huge, um always have been my seventh birthday party, totally themed to Peter Pan always been my favorite ride at Disneyland always been one of my favorite movies like I just love it, um like when I was younger and the movie Hook came out like my mom got me all the toys I had a dream that I went to like the Robin Williams version of Neverland and we I like. It was so, dude, okay, so real quick, it was the best dream ever because I went to Neverland with, like, Robin Williams, Peter Pan, and once I landed there, the kids from the Sandlot were also there, and we all played a game of baseball together. It was, like, one of my best <laughs> dreams ever. Um, I'm, I'm not laughing cool. at you. I'm just laughing because I was, like, my VHS cabinet when I was a kid. <laughs> Seriously. Awesome. Um, it was, like, like, I will never forget that dream. It was, like, my best. So, anyways, um, it's I'm such a Peter Pan fan that it's really hard for me to hate on any aspect of the Peter Pan story whatsoever. It like it like I do not take enjoyment and I do not get enjoyment out of the fact that I don't like this version of Hook. Like it kills me that I don't like this version of Hook. Um, it really does because the thing, well, actually, that's not true. It kills me that I don't like the way that Hook is written. When he and after he and Emma became a couple, and when he is with her, I like Hook much better when he is the villainous pirate. I will champion that Hook all the live long day. Um, Only he's more of a scoundrel because, as opposed to when he's making pancakes. Because he just had more of an edge to him, and he was just more interesting. It was kind of like Robin of Loxley. He was way more interesting and nuanced than Robin Hood was. In my opinion. So mm-hmm. love like redeemed hook is not as interesting as pirate hook. That's really I agree long with you. short. Um and and the reasons why I don't like his relationship with them are, are long and I'm not gonna get into them because I've done it a million times. But yeah, that's all it is for me. So I don't know. But anyways, continuing this scene here because I wanna hear what David had to say about why he didn't want Emma to get married nothing to do with hope. This is about why we insist on doing this with everything else going on right now. Well, because, David, we agreed that we don't give in to fear and our people need hope. Well, what about what we need, Snow? What our family needs? What are you talking about? The day I married, she was the best day of my life. Until the evil burst into those doors and threatened everyone we loved, then it became one of the worst. I don't want that friend when I walk her down the aisle, the only thing she should be thinking about is the wonderful years ahead, not Gideon or the Black Fairy, not any of it. 
charming on this like remain on the show thinking about it like thinking with com- with compassion for the characters these people have been through hell for like 60 years more um 62 actually so i really feel like they have earned their happy ending and it's time like they they can go ahead and settle down like I, just because I'm not ready for the characters to say goodbye doesn't mean that the characters haven't earned it and don't deserve it. So internally from mm-hmm. the show, like, you know, from that point of view, it, it is time for them to, to go. Like, they, they've, it's like Snow said in season two. They've, they deserve it. They've earned it. It's time. So it just makes me sad because I'm not ready for this. But, yeah. Um, that's where I'm at with that. So anyways, let's get into this for real. Um, the whole thing with Zelina and the heart and the Blackberry, first of all, seeing those two go against each other is great. I love Jamie Murray as the Blackberry. Murray, Murray, don't know. Um, I love her. I, she's she, a, she, her scene? She, she's like butter? No, well, she is, but she's like an attractive, more... That's a horrible thing to say, but it's true though. Um, she's like a. There's no way to say that without sounding chauvinistic, is there? I don't think there is. <laughs> I'm really gonna, curious I, what I, you're gonna say. I, I, I'm probably gonna. If you want if you want to, if you want to DM it to me, so I can be like, I can say, let you know if it sounds chauvinistic or not. <laughs> now I'm really curious. <laughs> I actually, mm-hmm. her delivery was so good in this episode. Though when she's like, still can never get you know get over that new baby smell, Mike. And the way she said it wasn't like, oh, you know, baby smell, great. It was like like saying how a pie smells good. Do you know what I mean? Like she wanted to eat the baby. I was like, Jesus! Like just the way she said it was like, she's like a really pretty shark you're like really I'm getting more and more nervous whenever she's in a room just because it's like it's like a little ticking time bomb well it's funny because when she was like <laughs> so Ashley I don't think I ever wanted I'll say it <laughs> it's like I don't think I, I I was not thinking that in those words particularly because the word I was going to use was sexy, but it's like, yeah, she's like a sexy version of umrage, and I don't think I ever wanted to put those two words in the same sentence ever before, so, but also, (laughs) yeah, no, she's she's like a, if umrage 
didn't have the toad appearance. We'll put it that way. Right. Well, Amelia Stoughton was, she was not, you know, Amelia Stoughton's fairly attractive in the uh, movies. But, yeah, like Umbridge via the books. Oh, holy shit. What? I just saw on Twitter from The Hollywood Reporter that Jeff Goldblum has joined the Jurassic World sequel as Dr. Ian Malcolm again. Yes! Yeah. Oh, my God. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, my God. That's, that's, that's fantastic news. That makes me actually want to see that movie I because I was at a point where I'm like, I don't understand why they're making a sequel. But, oh, well, yes, I do. A billion dollars at the box office. Because so they can put Jeff Goldblum in it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, yes. Did I ever tell you I went to where they filmed Jurassic World and Jurassic Park? Uh, we, last time I went to Hawaii, yeah, yeah they have the gyroscope sign in like a closet somewhere. I was like totally snooping where I wasn't supposed to be. I can never, I cannot find the picture, but I stuck my head in this in this closet, and they just have the the Jurassic World gyroscope sign like in like a storeroom, and I was like, <gasps> yeah, um, you you did tell me that. Um, ah, that's so awesome. Also, too, just on this quick note, I heard that Sam Neill has also expressed interest in coming back as Alan Grant. <sighs> This could totally make up for Jurassic Park 3, which was terrible. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, it is terrible. Um, okay. So. Oh, my Most God. Most podcasts talk Jurassic Park. That's who you need to get. Oh, my God. Okay. If they brought uh, back Laura Dern, like, I would, like, camp out. Laura Dern and Bryce Dale Howard fighting dinosaurs together. Laura Dern and Dice whatever the frick her name is. Baby Ron <laughs> Howard fighting dinosaurs together. Like. The fact that that's actually a real sentence that has a validity is amazing. It could right. happen. It could happen. They would could, they they could. have to spare no expense, though. They could spare no expense. I really Dude, like Jurassic Park, guys. She has a part in episode eight, and nobody knows who she is. Anyways. In um, what? Uh, Twin Peaks? She's in The Last Jedi. She's in The Last Jedi, and nobody knows who she's playing. Ooh, Laura Dern? Yes. Ooh. Strokey beard moment. That's. I know. That's interesting. Anyway, so the show. Um. <laughs> um. So back to Sexy Umbridge. That's where we were at. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's super hot. Um, I don't understand how Malcolm hooked it up. Uh, really don't. I'm really <laughs> okay. like next week though. Okay, guys. So if you were watching on Twitter and you were watching the episode and you know us, then you know that um, how we feel about Shady Buffery and our long-standing theory that 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 bitch is up to something. <laughs> <laughs> She's been up to something. And then came the reveal in the last seconds of the show that, in fact, there is something that the Blue Fairy knows that nobody knows that she knows. And I, oh, my God, I lost it. And then I was like, Ashley's going to lose it. 
Ashley, tell me um, if you lost it. My full bloom reaction was my shady blue fairy reaction. Like just so that's what happened when I watched the episode. It was just yes. Sorry, I'm tweeting a lot of S's with this tweet <laughs> to express my excitement. Yep. Um, I really want to know what's going on. I mean, really, like, what? Okay. Before we talk about next week's episode, let's talk about what happened in this one. No, fuck it. Let's talk about what's going to happen. I'm so excited about next week's episode. I want to know everything. Why she gave up Rumpel? Why didn't she name him? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, was she maybe, like, because Tiger Lily said that she gave up being a fairy because she didn't stop the Black Fairy. Which, first of all, I was wondering if, like, Tiger Lily and the Black Fairy could end up being related. And then I was Lava. also wondering, like, sisters or lovers. And then, um, and now this thing with Blue, like, why would she give up the baby? And I, because I feel like that is related to why Blue, like, said that fairies can't, like, fall in love. Like, are they supposed to be chaste? And that's why they're nuns. And, like, or are they just nuns because she said you can never be in love, but it, but it wasn't like a – I don't know. See, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be some twist to it where, like – there's obviously going to be a twist, right? So – because then Rumpel's also there, too. I love what Emma said to him in the promo. Did you see the promo? I did. Okay. Um, I love what Emma said to him when she said that, you know – not, no curse is ever more terrifying than finding out why you were abandoned. I can't wait for this scene. I feel like this is going to be just based off of that and the other conversation that Emma was having where she said that she needed to know that gold was on her side. I feel like this is going to be an episode that gives Rumpel and Emma a more solid connection um, or, or maybe a more solid foundation for where they, for how they are going forward. Um, I, I really, and, and it's related to something in this episode too, actually, um, which I want to discuss now because it was that moment where Belle convinced Rumpel to let them help. And he agreed. Um, when that happened, I was like, like, I actually said to myself, I was like, it's happening. It's like, it's happening. He's like, remember in Neverland when he went off and did his own thing? Now, he has always been like that. He's never, ever wanted to work with them, ever. He's never wanted to work with anybody. This was the first time. And I was like, he's, it's happening. Like, he's changing. It's like, it's his turn now. He, it's happening. He's, mm. he's changing a little bit. He's, he's redeeming a little bit more now. And it's so funny because, when, like, with everything that they put Rumpel and Bell through, I never, truly never thought that they were going to be able to fix this. And I think that they are well on their way to doing so. Um, well, I was—I really love the fact that, like later, like that very ass end of the episode when Bell was like, "Um, you are doing your thing, but we could try their way," and he let her. He wasn't like, "No, Bell, I do things my way because I am Rumple blah." 
you know, he 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 was just like, okay, well, we'll we're gonna give us a try, like, and I think that right there speaks to your point. Um, yeah, I really like. I feel like something is going to change fundamentally. Um, oh, you didn't like my cheese. I'm really. I, uh, that really I love that. Like that has that has me so excited. Like I'm really excited for next week's episode. I feel like it's going to be fantastic. Um, but this the final episode, three though, I think are really going to kick some ass. Oh Jesus. Um, the final three. My God. All right. So the whole th- her the modern day storyline with the Black Fairy and everything going on with Zelina. I think we, we kind of covered that, but I loved it. I thought that that was fantastic. Um, Ashley, I don't know if you spoke on that whole. Lot well, I I I really love the fact that Zelina is this doting mother and she's just like, mommy's going to go kick some ass and blah, blah, blah. You know, but she's, she's still so protective and so gentle with baby Robin. And, but she's still like, she, she's like, no, I got to hire a babysitter. Cause I got to go kick somebody's ass. Like, I love that. That is Zelina in a nutshell. You know what I mean? So I really like that aspect has, has kind of, you know, it's carried through. I also like the fact that, you know, Robin's like one of the babies that's actually stuck around. Like, sorry, but, you know. But mm-hmm. um, oh, I just, I love the Black Fairies, the interactions with, with Zelina, though, too. I, I particularly, like yeah. I said, I, I, in, in, my favorite was when they were in the farmhouse. You know what I mean? And she, you know, the black fairy has the baby, but then she's like, like that line with the new baby smell. I was just like that for some reason creeped me out so bad. And I don't even know if it was how she said it. Cause I don't think she said it any way that was like truly sinister. There was just, there's just the finest edge on that line that like, I swear to God, I thought like she's eating babies. Like it was just like, Ooh, there's something about it was just her. Like we're really starting to get that. Like I don't know what where the shift was, but we're really starting to get the okay. The black fairy, you don't want to be in the room with her. And I don't know if it's the fact that she's literally she doesn't get mad. Like even if she's mad, she's not mad. She everything is a big effing joke to her, and it's kind of creepy. I love her. I love her. Um, Well, see, and that's why I was so excited when Jimmy Murray got a cast because I was like, oh, she's going to do wonderful things with this. Mm. I really, um, can we, I just want to say something, by the way. The directing of this episode was was really great but especially in how the visuals really worked with the rest of the story like them following the vein of fairy crystals and then the chamber that they go into like that looks really cool i love how it was like all lit like it honestly it looked like the cube for like a disney ride or something like like going in a tunnel but yeah it's like or something like from Star Wars Land, right? Like, ooh, look, those are like the Jedi lightsabers. Those are kyber crystals for the lightsabers. 
that kind of thing. So, okay, I just had the bejesus scared out of me by something falling in the bathroom because the window was open and it blew something over. And yeah, anyways. Well, at least um, you didn't have like a dude come into your apartment when you were live on the podcast. That was embarrassing. Yeah, that was something. Um, New listeners, <laughs> basically, the truncated story is the maintenance man came into my apartment unannounced, and I was so freaked out. All I said was, there's a man in my apartment and hung up like an idiot, and that was a super fun time on the podcast, because, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't long, but, yeah. <laughs> there was a very tense moment where, oh, no, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> Yeah, I was, like, terrified because I wasn't sure how to get a hold of Chicago police. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then I let um, him have – actually, you know what? That maintenance man doesn't work with work with the uh, my landlord anymore for good. probably that and many other reasons. Because who the hell just comes rolling into somebody's apartment at 9 o'clock at night? Anyway. Right. Um. All right. I do feel like uh, Regina was, I mean, she was kind of bitchy with Selena this episode. And I don't know, like, it was just, it was to a point where, like, I understand a certain level of bitchiness, but it was just over the hump slightly to where it was like, okay, calm down, Gigi. Like, all right, you know, like, take a a seat, because... Okay, we get it. Um, yeah, when she was like, here, go back to Oz. I was like, um, cool. Go back to where you belong. I was like, wow. I did like them fighting, though. They're, they're they're bickering and kind of like magically shoving each other. That was like, I was like, sister, sister, whenever that was going on. Yeah, that was totally like sibling rivalry done right. Um and I and I have to say honestly because when it first cropped up that was like the Wicked Witch of the West is Regina's half sister like whoa, I remember back in season three I was like hmm okay I'll roll with it. I honestly think that's probably one of the best things that they've done is Zelina and bringing Zelina back too. Like I don't know when I became I think you know honestly just I I, I love interacting with Rebecca Mater but. It's made. I love watching her on screen as Zelina because I love what they've done with the character because she's extremely. I don't know how to put it exactly. Like I, nuanced is a good way, but I mean she's got so many different facets. She's just she's fun to watch. You know she could be sarcastic, but she also has these great emotional moments. Like my, I love because you know I'm a sucker for woods and snow and like Vancouver. Vancouver is is gorgeous. But the scene was a very wide shot of this. It was it looked like a Bob Ross painting, and I love me of Bob Ross. But it was of the farmhouse, and then she's walking in the snow, and she kind of turns and kind of just looks at, like, the scenery, and then she raises the crystal. And I just, that scene, you know, that was a quieter I mean, moment. So you could, you know, you could say Zelina is psychotic because she is, but then she's capable of emoting in these quieter moments as well. And that's what I think. I really just like watching Zelina because I'm never a hundred percent what's going to come out of her mouth or what she's going to do next. I, 
Mm. Yeah, I just love Bex. Um, maybe that's what, like, maybe that's what it is um, about Zelina that I like so much is that there's a lot of Bex in her. <laughs> um, there in really her is. The, um, the playfulness. I, Yes. Oh, totally. Um, she has a certain. She hasn't. She just has an edge to her. Like I said about Zelina. Like I think actually the edge that I'm talking about is Bex. Um, that just shines through because she can. Like she's a very real person, but she's also. Bex is a very intense person, in that. She'll level with you when she needs to. She'll level with you when she needs to, but also because of her the color of her eyes, she has a very commanding gaze. And so it's almost like you feel like she can – it's almost like the Dumbledore effect. You feel like she can see through you. Um, I highly recommend if you never have – if you haven't yet and you have a chance to go meet Rebecca Maynard, do so. She is fabulous. Um, and she will talk to you. For oh, second. and you know what? It was her birthday on Sunday. It was her birthday on Sunday. Oh, so happy shit. birthday, Bex. Her birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Bex. I'm so sorry that we have neglected to say anything. I didn't even. Oh no, it was Monday, date. not Sunday. Ooh, I just uh, I just um, the wrong date. Okay. Yeah. No. Yesterday. Happy birthday yesterday, Bex. Love you. Um, and also too because I didn't say anything because it was the day after, but um, Jennifer Morrison's birthday was April 12th, so happy birthday, Jen. Yeah, what about another birthday, huh? Hmm. And also Robert Carlyle's was recently as well. <laughs> and another one? Yeah. We've been neglectful no. of birthdays. Yeah, you're, you're continuing to be neglectful, Zachary. Yep. yep. Um, so moving on. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, it was also Ashley's birthday over this past weekend, everybody. So, um, you had me going there for a second. I was like, you really, for-? I like, no, that I shouldn't say that because you called me. So, you know what? Right. Sure Zach, and I love, I love um, how Zach was like, I know you're at a convention, but happy birthday. <laughs> It's last Tuesday on the day that we did the fucking podcast with Sean McGuire's birthday. Fuck me. All right. Because um, April is the best month ever of all time. April 25th, not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. Oh, my God. Today is one of my favorite. Like, it's like October 4th or whatever. Like, it's October 10th or whatever day it was for fucking Mean Girls. Like, when he asked her what day it was. November. November something. No, it was. It was October. It was in October. On October oh, 4th, he asked me what day it was. It's October 4th or something like that. Well, my, one of my favorites is uh, from Community when he's like, it's Christmas. It's December 10th. And that's Yvette Nicole Brown. Yeah. Okay. So, I oh, love... God. It was like October 3rd. It's October 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> describe your perfect – describe your perfect date. See, that's a tough I'd one. have to say April 25th. Not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. That's your criminal mastermind. 
I, I don't think you understand. I saw Miss Congeniality in the I saw Miss Congeniality in the theaters three times. That was the first movie I ever saw Michael Caine in. I was Gracie Lou free bushing it today. What? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, sorry. I love her name too. Okay, God, I never laugh like that in public. Okay. Um all right. Free bush? Yeah, I heard you like the name, so I am in a I am in a dress. I have gel in my hair. I haven't eaten or slept all night, and I am armed. Don't mess with me. No, I love when she's like, I'm walking here, asshole. <laughs> she's oh, beauty and she's grace. She's missed United States. Okay. He anyway. threw a chair out the window. I love that. I need to watch that. Anyways, um, the second one I, I actually I don't, don't think I, I saw it once. I fell asleep. All right. Um, let's, let's see what else. Um, what else do we have to discuss? Um, oh, the flashback. I mean, yeah, but like you had said earlier, too, the Oz set is one of my favorites too. Um, you said that it that it was um. Dynamic. dynamic. There's, the there's bubbling and movement. Yeah, it is. It has a lot. It has. It is a very. It has a lot of kinetic energy in that. It always has the bubbles moving and yeah, all of that. Um, and it, what also struck me as well is that when Zelina was sitting there having dinner by herself, it made me think of how many times we've seen Regina at it. Like, remember when she was at the dinner table and Rumpel showed up and was like, "Oh, roast swan, ha ha, you'll get that later" or something. Um, yeah, that definitely reminds me. Well, and it's interesting, like, you could almost, and somebody, people who are good at manips and stuff, can I get, like, a half and half with, like, Zelina on one side of the table and Regina on the other and be, like, you know, finally we're a family or something? Like, not that they're in the room together, but that they're alone and they could have been together if they had just, like, you know, not been evil. Because I need a thing like that in my life. But, yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely is very much that. That's why they all need to sit together for Thanksgiving. Because I actually don't think we've... I remember very clearly, I think there's one scene where they're all in a booth. And not, I don't think Selena was at the town yet. I think it was, what, season two or the beginning of season three, where it's Snow, Charming, Regina, Henry, and Emma who are all in a booth together. And I think that's one of the only times we've ever seen them really like sit down and meal that isn't automatically interrupted by going off and dealing with some crisis. So I really feel like we need to see a family dinner. Oh God, um, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting observation. Um, so for those of you who aren't really up to speed on the business side of Hollywood and the workings and things, you may have still heard, probably heard about this. Um. The Writers Guild is probably going to strike if the studios don't agree to what they're asking for, which is basically paying writers what they're worth and not holding them to 
exclusivity contracts that forbids them from seeking other work while they are under the employment of something like a show on Netflix, which only has like maybe 10 episodes, 13 or whatever. Um, if you're only writing that many episodes, that means that you're only working for a few weeks out of the year. And otherwise, if you're held to a contract, then you can't go write anything else. Um, kind of a big deal. So um, what this means for us as a television audience it's not just limited to once upon a time. It's literally everything. Um, whether it's like TV shows, movies as well. Um, even some things like TV shows, like um, the tonight show and things like that, like the opening monologues, like on Ellen's show as well, the opening monologues and things like that, anything that's written by a writer in that way, who's a member of the WGA that can no longer happen. So, like, when there was a writer strike before, they all of the late night hosts had to ad lib their openings because they weren't allowed to have a writer to write them. Um, and what that means for us is that if the writers do strike and they're not able to come to an agreement, it's going to delay the production of the following television season, um, which means that depending on how long it goes, we may not be seeing the return of whatever iteration of Once Upon a Time is coming back um, until well into October, November, potentially, even longer. Um, the last time the strike happened, it was a 100-day strike, and it set production back two months of everything. And everything else came to a grinding halt. The difference this time is that um, the strike before happened in the middle of the season, like kind of towards the end. Um, so they had to, like, actually a, a show that suffered from this is Heroes. The reason why this, that's the reason why the second season of Heroes um, is considered uh, lower quality than the first season and all of them, from what I understand. It's also why it was shorter. So that's an example. Um, the same thing is going to happen again, most likely, and this time since it's happening during hiatus season, it's is just going to delay the production of anything going forward. So, yeah, Lost was also impacted by the writer's strike. Thank you very much in the chat for that, Dana. Um, I believe Gray's was as well, because I distinctly remember Gray's. Like, yeah, pretty much this will impact all of television. And I actually, now that we have things like Netflix and Hulu Originals, it's be interesting to see how what happens with that as well. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I just think that is something I don't. I think a lot of people don't realize is that your Netflix originals as well that you know are probably all under under production right now will be affected as, as well. Um, and then, as you say, with production being delayed, that also affects the jobs of crews and pretty much every aspect of the television industry is going to be affected by this. And film, and Netflix, and Amazon, mm -hmm. and who everything. Um, now, as somebody on Twitter that I follow has just pointed out, what that really means for us as a television audience is that if they're not moving forward on the production of anything new, that'll give us all time to catch up on everything in our queue. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> that's one kind of silver lining of looking at it is, you know, I've got a ton of shows that I need to 
hurry up and get caught up on again. I'm still two episodes behind on Scandal, but even beyond that, I still need to watch all of Shit's Creek. I'm a season behind on Wentworth. Like, so many things. So, yeah. But still, that's something to think about. <laughs> Anyways. What else, what else, what else? I mean, it is, it, is kind of, it is kind of important for us to talk to because it also, I mean, like, with things shifting, like, you know, who is it? It was Andrew Chambliss and who it was it Dana Horgan who went over and they're now showrunners for The Fear of the Walking Dead. They won't be able, you know, they just changed to a different show. They won't be able to move forward with that. It's something like, I know, like, I feel like a lot of people hear about it and they don't really know the impact of the writer's strike. And they're like, oh, whatever, strike. It's like, well, that, it's going to have a huge impact. And you know what I mean, like, I'm okay with it impacting it, like my consumption of television, because I feel like the writers, you know, they, particularly the exclusivity contract, like they need to be able to make a living. Yeah. Um. I've never wanted any, like, very, I've wanted very few things in life other than, like, as much as I want to be. Anyways. Um. <laughs> I'm just looking to see, like, on my notes if there was anything else that I wanted to talk about in particular. We've been kind of abstract with this, but I think, I mean, generally speaking, we both enjoyed it. There's not really anything to, like, nit and... Well, I don't have a nitpick, but I do have a comment. Hmm. I tweeted about this, actually. Um, And actually, on Sunday, to my point earlier about respect, I don't normally tag the actors anymore, either, um, unless I, like, see them, and I'm like, oh, hey... I used to tag the actors in every single tweet I sent out. Um, I don't do that anymore, though. Um, But I sent out a tweet that said that we had gotten real character development and depth from Zelina. It's a miracle. And I feel like it is. Because they've given Zelina some really good material in the past. Um, It's funny because I hadn't thought about this episode since I first watched it maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago, actually. Um, but I was reading an interview, like the post, you know, like the post war, if you will, recap interview that Bex did with entertainment weekly. And she mentioned the episode sisters from last season where we find out that Emma and Regina have actually knew each other when they were younger and had forgotten because of their mother. Um, and it made me kind of pause and reflect back a little bit and realize that they've given her some, like, you know, some good material like that, but otherwise she hasn't been on very often. And it's something that, um, I think both of us have kind of noticed recently. Um, it was just weird because it was like, they signed her on as a main cast member and then she was on... Um, it almost felt like it was less than when she was not a regular. Um, 
I felt like the same thing kind of happened to Sean McGuire. Um, just an instant. I mean, I may be wrong for all I know. I'm probably talking out of my ass and eliminating any possibility of ever working for ABC, Disney, or anybody else. But anyways, um, yeah, it, it just seemed weird because like, and the, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because she's a really underdeveloped character. Um, I think I kind of feel at this point like they all are underdeveloped characters because especially like what was happening with like Belle and Rumple when Belle was talking and then there were like the, we got two Bexley scenes too um, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was an amazingly fun day on set. Um, so yeah like all of this stuff happened and I was like there, there's so much more that we don't know about them. And it makes me sad that, like, some of it might be done already and, like, we may not get to know more. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. I, that, Ashley, say something. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there are more stories tell but I feel like there are the kind of stories that we had today where while the Black Fairy was an outside source that was really you know terrorizing everybody the more interesting story was what was going on inside of Zelina and those are the stories that we really want and those are the stories that sometimes kind of fall to the wayside due to the, the new threat coming to town um so Seeing it here, I think, reminded, I don't know about you, but it definitely reminded me. That's why I think why I like the episode so much is that it just, everything fit together nicely. And it wasn't, well, aside from the Crimson Heart, but you know what? Can't grab a thousand. But I just, I think that's what it is, is that, like, the familial aspects we got to see something mundane and fun like you know even the wedding planning even if it wasn't your cup of tea snow white with a goddamn wedding binder with tabs colored tabs she has swatches like we like that kind of stuff and so it's nice to see it and i think seeing it now made us i don't know about you i say makes us as in you and i kind of realize that there may be opportunity where we won't be seeing that again for a while, how much of the little things we want to see. Am I yeah. talking out of my ass? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I just I just think that I just feel like it's too late. Um. Nope, not going there. All right, um, let's see. We have like four minutes left. And on a positive note. Um, 100 podcasts. I'm just going to take another minute to talk about that, actually. I think that's how I want to wrap this up. Because when I first had the idea for this podcast, it was because I had more to say than what I could write down. Because I used to write um, articles all the time with different theories and things I thought was going to happen, and I would include theories in some of my recaps and 
you know, my interview questions have always been based around, you know, theories that I've had or, or at least trying to put myself in the perspective of the people making the show and, and, and also the fans, all of you guys too, and and what you all would want to know, what would I want to know, what do I want to know, and hoping that you guys all like, you know, think of the same thing. And I've always tried to ask questions that would give an answer that would be better than I can't tell you because, you know, you'll just have to wait and see. But I always find those really frustrating. I'd rather get some kind of genuine and honest insight into what's happening than I have a tease of what's going on. But when I first – anyways <laughs> – when I first started this podcast, um, yeah, it was because I wanted, I had a lot to say and the articles weren't cutting it because I couldn't talk in the same way that, like, I couldn't write, I could write in the way that I talk, but it wasn't doing it for me, I guess. It just didn't feel like it was the right place for it or the right medium or, you know, method of communication. So, and originally, when we started out, too, there were four hosts on this. It was me and Amy, and then we had Samantha Lee, who was on the one's upon a fan staff, and I think we also had Woodrow, our editor. Um, and and then that kind of changed into, we cut it down from four into three, and then eventually it was just me and Amy. And then I asked Ashley to come on, and then Amy left, and now it's just me and Ashley. Um but the reason, yeah, I started all this just because I wanted to have a fun place to talk about the show with other oncers who I knew liked the show as much as I did. And it's come a long way since then. I wasn't expecting to come this far. I don't really know what I was expecting back when I started it, but I certainly wasn't expecting to come this far. Um, I've done 100 of these. So, again, just to kind of bring this full circle as we are wont to do, um, thank you all very much for taking time out of your lives to listen to me go on about my silly rants about, you know, Emma and Neil and why their relationship is superior to hers with Hook, why Hook is lame, and all the times we talk about Star Trek and Jurassic World and Jeff Goldblum and his chest and everything else, and Grundles and the like. So um, I really appreciate it because I'm really just a dude from a small town who never, ever felt like he – had a voice, and a lot of you guys listen to me talk now, so it's just kind of a cool thing. So I hope that little story encourages all of you to go pursue something that you are maybe nervous about because sometimes it'll pay off and make you a better, more well-rounded person. Anyways, that does it for this week's episode of Once Upon a Fan Podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about Black Fairy. Again, it's yeah. Tuesday at 5 30 Eastern. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye. Night.